US jobs growth was a bit weaker than expected, but wage growth was solid. Something for everyone in the debate over a soft landing. China's outlook, though, is different and crucial. We get key inflation data this week from China. That's coming up in our five things in less than five minutes. And in our deep dive, we hear from Betty Wang and Daniel Hines about how Australia's exporters should benefit as India takes up the slack in commodities demand left by China's slowdown. India's import dependency is, is very high and that will align with the markets that Australia is, is most dominant in. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, number one, non-farm payrolls data out on Friday night showed jobs growth in the world's largest economy is slowing, which was seen pleasing the US Federal Reserve. There were 187,000 jobs added in July. That was less than the consensus of around about 200,000. But it wasn't all good news for those hoping for a soft landing. Average hourly earnings growth was unchanged at 4.4% in July from a year ago. That was a touch above the consensus. Here's ANZ Group's chief economist, Richard Yetzinger. The payrolls, I think, is, was in many ways a microcosm of the recent US data trend. If you're thinking the US is going into recession, there was a little bit there for you. If you're thinking the Fed's getting the soft landing in the immaculate landing, if you like, that maybe it's after, there was a bit there for you as well. I think that's a good signal. It's telling us the Fed's somewhere in this not-too-hot, not-too-cold kind of territory. Number two. However, US bond markets ended the week slightly happier with the renewed indicators of a soft landing. The US 10-year Treasury yield eventually closed down two basis points at 4.04% on Saturday. As recently as Thursday, it was a nine-month high. That's because of fear about extra US government borrowing. The two-year yield also fell two basis points, which means the yield curve is still negative. Now, that used to be a surefire indicator of a recession. Not so much anymore, as ANZ's senior international economist, Tom Kenny, explains. Given that we haven't really had that many recessions, you know, it's not really an ironclad rule, I think, for the negative yield curve that a recession necessarily seems to follow. We're not really seeing any signs of a growth slowdown yet in the US economy. So short-term rates are high because of policy rates are high, but the longer-term rates are lower because there's an expectation that, you know, at some point the Fed will be cutting rates because, you know, policy is restrictive at this point in time. Number three, oil prices rose another 1% to nearly 83 US dollars a barrel for West Texas Intermediate over the weekend. And remember, it's up more than $10 a barrel over the last month. Tightening supplies from Saudi Arabia and Russia are a factor. Along with some worrying signs, the conflict in Ukraine could hit gas and oil supplies, especially through and around the Black Sea. Ukrainian drones hit one of Russia's biggest oil tankers over the weekend. ANZ's senior commodity strategist, Daniel Hines, talks about fears too for European gas. Europe is, is certainly um, at risk of being completely shut off. We saw Russia warn that supplies through the Ukraine are certainly not guaranteed at the moment. Number four, the RBA forecast inflation is to fall under 3% by the end of 2025 in its statement of monetary policy on Friday. Here's ANZ's Head of Australian Economics, Adam Boyton, on what that means. 
the bank is happy to sit back for some time and see how inflation and activity across the economy evolve. The key for me when I'm looking at forecasts in the RBA's quarterly statements on monetary policy is what's the endpoint inflation forecast? That is, where does the bank think inflation lands at the end of its forecast? We've got 2.8 for headline inflation come December 2025. It's within the band. It's a slow return to the band, but that for me is uh, on hold, but with a hawkish tinge. Number five, the key thing to watch this week will be China inflation figures on Wednesday, with deflation expected for both CPI and PPI inflation in July. Here's Tom Kenny on how China's recovery really is different from everyone else's, especially with youth unemployment over 20% and climbing. There's talk there of household balance sheet recessions. It's looking very challenging for the Chinese government there to try and stabilise growth going forward. Tom Kenny there. Now it's time for our deep dive in less than five minutes. On Friday, we heard from ANZ's Sunny Kumar in India about how India could take up around half of the commodities demand slack left by a slowing China. So who benefits from that increased India demand? ANZ's Betty Wang asked Daniel Hines in a webinar for ANZ clients last week about how this China to India shift affects Australia. So clearly the metals will certainly benefit from that. But even non-critical minerals, which I sometimes do place copper in as, but certainly it's uh, the production of, of uh, more traditional metals like copper and, uh, and other raw materials you know, could, could clearly benefit from this in an overall sense, considering the growth that we'll see come out of uh, India itself. And then on the on the energy side, certainly with uh, gas uh, taking a much more important part of the energy mix within India, that's going to be uh, an area where Australia can, can benefit. It is one of the biggest exporters of uh, liquefied natural gas. And due to its its relatively short distance, um, you know, it is a key market for Australian exporters as well. So, you know, it does open up a huge amount of opportunities. Not that Australia hasn't been taking advantage of them so far, but clearly there is much greater scope, I suppose, for Australian exporters now to deliver into this this huge growth uh, growth driver. Sure, it sounds like opportunities are quite there, particularly for traditional energies as well as some critical minerals. Another trend that we've been observing so for quite a while is the rising global awareness of decarbonization and energy transition. And in fact, actually, India has made its own commitment to decarbonize by 2070. Um, so, Daniel, what do you think, you know, if this energy transition happens and, uh, you know, decarbonization efforts are taking place in India? So what does it mean for commodities, demand and also for clean energies? Is there any views on, over on that? Yeah, I mean, huge, a huge impact. Countries like India, you know, have been dominated by fossil fuels as opposed to, I suppose, more developed markets like Europe and North America, where there's been a much earlier transition and we've seen uh, a much greater diversity, I suppose, amongst energy sources. Um, 
you know, in terms of primary energy, India relies quite heavily on, on coal and oil um, at the moment, which make up, you know, about two thirds of that primary energy demand. But when you look at the electricity sector in particular, coal's share is even greater at nearly 80% at the moment. Um, and it wants to cut that down to about 50% by 2040. So there's going to be a huge transition within that market. It's obviously targeting quite a large sort of uh, build out of, of electricity uh, capacity, essentially doubling the capacity over the next uh, over the next 10 years. A lot of that will come from solar and wind, which are huge uh, consumers of uh, a lot of those uh, critical minerals. Clearly, though, you know, the issues around air pollution and decarbonisation are a, a major issue uh, in India. It has been an environmental problem for the country for some time. In fact, in, uh, I think, 2019, over a million uh, premature deaths were associated with ambient and household air pollution. So it is um, a major issue. And that's why I think natural gas will be that key transitional fuel for India in particular, much more cleaner burning fuel um, and allow it um, you know, as a, as a perfect transitional fuel until I suppose, some of those renewable energy sources get up to a large, uh, a large market share. And then, of course, you know, the electric vehicle sector. You know, India is uh, quite a, a unique market in that um, it is dominated largely by two and three wheeled vehicles. And the opportunity, I think, is huge uh, within that sector, as opposed to the issues of mileage or coverage, you know, by heavy vehicles or cars uh, due to the, the lack of storage capabilities in, in batteries. Uh, the two and three wheels have much shorter operating ranges. And as a consequence, um, the ability to, to meet those needs uh, from current battery technology is huge. So I would expect to see a really strong pickup in demand uh, from electric vehicles on those two and three wheel sectors, which uh, you know, will really boost demand for uh, a lot of those critical minerals. Daniel Hines there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was Five and Five with ANZ for Monday, August the 7th. Catch you tomorrow. This podcast was recorded for publication on behalf of ANZ. All associated disclosures and disclaimers can be viewed using the link in your media player or the ANZ website through which you access this podcast. All care has been taken to report the views of ANZ Research in the creation of this podcast, but as an independent host, any differing interpretations are strictly mine and not ANZ's. Feel free to contact your ANZ point of contact with any questions.